Welcome to Supergirl's Attic. I'm Cycles. And I'm Vivi. And this episode, we're going to discuss Rather the Fallen Angel, episode seven of season four of Supergirl. And I have been waiting for this episode. Yes, you have. A little bit. Mentioned it a couple times, once or twice. (laughs) Because this episode has a few references to Frankenstein. The title itself, as we have mentioned before, comes from a quote from Frankenstein. And one of the more obvious references that you might be able to pinpoint is Shelley Island, as in Mary Shelley, who wrote Frankenstein. I did not spot this, and I am ashamed. (laughs) (laughs) I was making the notes on it because you had left a mark for me for the history stuff because Shelley Island is meant to represent Ellis Island, which was one of the largest immigrant ports of the 20th century. But as I was typing the name, I was like, wait a minute, Shelley, like Mary (laughs) Shelley, because I had read this book too and done research on it. And then you were like, oh no. Oh, yeah. Because I I put it in the category of history. I'm like, this is Vivi's thing because it's it's like a space statue of liberty. Yes. It's kind of like a futuristic looking torch in a way. And it's a port for the immigrants to come in from other planets. I'm like, okay, this will be Vivi's area. But then I was blinded. But they tricked you. Yeah. Plot twist, some sci-fi. Yes. And I was really excited for this episode because it references Frankenstein a lot. And that's sort of the foundation for sci-fi. And I'm a big sci-fi fan. But another thing that I thought was interesting was it's called Frankenstein. And then the subtitle is the modern Prometheus. And Prometheus is the Greek Titan who stole fire from the gods and gave fire to humanity. And that kind of ties into that idea of like playing God and also knowledge and kind of harvesting knowledge for your own devices, which thematically ties into Frankenstein and is why that's the subtitle for it. And also ties into things that we're going to discuss for this episode. But Greek mythology is itself is also kind of a big theme with the Luthers in general. Yeah, that's true. And Prometheus himself was referenced by the Luthers in two Superman movies. We have the Superman Returns with Brandon Ralph and Kevin Spacey as Lex Luthor talks about Prometheus. And in the recent Batman versus Superman, that Lex Luthor also referenced Prometheus. So it's kind of interesting that Lena has this sort of off branch of this concept of taking knowledge for yourself and playing God. And within the show, we have obviously Cadmus, which Lillian Luther spearheaded. And Cadmus was a Greek hero who slayed monsters, you know, and so that ties into the concept of Cadmus, which they perceive aliens to be monsters. And I was listening to a podcast with Brenda Strong, and she was talking about how she really attached to the Greek mythology angle and Cadmus specifically, because it helped her conceptualize how Lillian perceives the world through that sort of heroic lens. But then also a really interesting thing is that Cadmus slayed a dragon and she took that serpentine physicality into her performance. Mm. And then within the Cadmus storyline with Lillian, you actually had her construct the Medusa virus, which is another Greek mythology reference, Mm. which is an interesting one because some people associate Medusa with being a monster because she has the serpentine hair that Mm -hmm. turns people to stone. But then also Lena makes her own reference to women of Greek mythology as well and specifically says she has the emotional range of Medea, (laughs) which I remember people kind of being like, ha, cool. And I was like, no, (laughs) no, not cool, (laughs) not cool at all. Medea, if you are not familiar with the play, is the story of a 
woman who is abandoned by her former husband and decides that the only way she can move on with her life is to take everything he loves from him and destroy him. So <laughs> she murders his fiance and her own children in order to get even with him and then trick somebody else into giving her sanctuary so that after she commits all these crimes, she has somewhere to go. Yeah. That's not really flattering as a comparison. <laughs> no. Uh, and Lena was referencing it in reference to when she tried to murder Edge. So she doesn't have that same heroic comparison that Lillian does to the Greek mythology. And I think in Smallville too, the Luthers kind of talked about Greek mythology and, and in comics in general, all these mythologies are really interwoven and you see the same kind of ideas crop up in various forms. That idea of how knowledge can be something that you can take and and how it can make you godlike and whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing. With Prometheus, that mythology is framed as a positive thing. With Adam and Eve, which is referenced within Frankenstein, the apple of knowledge, taking that as a very bad thing. And in Frankenstein, we see that it's about how the knowledge is applied and whether or not you use it responsibly. Well, because Frankenstein was also written to be a critique of the Industrial Revolution, was it not? Yeah, she was really worried about scientific progress. Progress just for the the sake of progress without a conscience attached. Yeah. So Frankenstein draws upon these two mythologies of the Greek gods and it references Paradise Lost, which is basically Bible fanfic. So obviously there's this concept of gods and playing God. And this concept of playing God definitely ties into Lena's story in this episode, and kind of in general. Uh-huh. Lena in this episode is doing human trials. Using the Harnell, which, as Alora said at the end of season three, she was glad all of it had been contained because no one knows quite what it does. Yeah. And that's one of the, when you hear the phrase playing God, it's not necessarily any sort of actual connection to any one God. So in the previous episode of the show, the Thanksgiving one, where they all have that sort of debate at Thanksgiving dinner, and Alex tells Lena that what she, Alex doesn't realize, but what Lena's planning to do would be playing God. And Alex is not a religious character by any means. No. So she's referring more to the abstract concept of playing with things you don't understand or making choices that you don't have the right to make. And playing God, at least to me, also specifically means that you're doing things that put other people's lives in the balance. Yeah. Because otherwise, what's the difference between a god and, like, a politician who also makes decisions that affect other people? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well. Is there, is there a difference? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> There's also the aspect of a politician being a part of a system um, and not act, hopefully not acting unilaterally. Well, if you're thinking of it in terms of the modern sense of, like, a Republican government, which has representation, yes, but if you're thinking of it in the tradition of, like, in Paradise Lost, where it was referencing the English Civil War and whether or not the king has absolute power and the divine right to do what they want, same basic idea. Yeah. So what differentiates them is how much power they have, I suppose. And obviously in this episode, we see Lena going ahead and both playing with things that she doesn't understand because she did not test the Hornell for very long before she decided to move straight to human trials. And her test subject brings up the idea, like, what if you chose wrong? What if you're giving this power to me and I'm not the right person for it? And bad things will result from it. She says, well, I'm a very smart woman. And the amount of hubris uh, is really present in that moment. Indeed it is. And the test subject that she is talking to, uh, speaking of sort of playing God, his name is Adam. 
which if you are familiar with monotheistic religions, you should recognize the symbolism of that name choice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in conjunction with the title of the episode, the quote from Frankenstein is, I ought to be thy Adam, but I am rather the fallen angel. Which doesn't bode well for Adam. No, it does not. And you were the one who noticed that Lena's assistant, her name is Eve. Conveniently, yes. Yes, we have both Adam and Eve in this episode. And Eve is the one who kind of convinces Lena that she's making the right decision to go forward and bring Adam into it. And also, Eve chose Adam, or she's the one who starts talking about him. So that was an interesting little way they hooked all those things together. Yes, (laughs) and it kind of implied that she might be attracted to him. Yeah. If you want to read it that way, (laughs) then as like a pair. Maybe she'll be like in Frankenstein movies where... The bride. Yeah, the the bride. Maybe, Maybe Eve will be experimented on in one point. Oh, I hope not. (laughs) Because my sister was saying, like, I told her about the Frankenstein references as we were watching the episode. And after Lena had said that Adam died, she's like, oh, maybe he didn't die. Mm. Or maybe he'll come back to life in some way. Maybe. Maybe he will. Yes. Because we also didn't see him die. Correct. We only saw Lena talk about it. Yeah, as opposed to saw it ourselves, which is something suspicious if you're used to the The sci-fi or television in general. Yeah. And Adam later on, after he is sort of convinced that they should go through this, he also sort of tempts her in a way and says there's no progress without risk progress theme comes in again which is kind of funny because there's actually a song called progress is the root of all evil from this old musical called little abner in which a bunch of men agree to be scientifically experimented on and turned into like perfect husbands nice So there was a similar level of experimenting. And the twist in that story is that the women meet the like new scientifically altered men and they are like, uh, fix them back. This sucks. (laughs) And they reject the scientists altogether. Ah, So this concept is present throughout many iterations across human history. But Adam and Eve tempting Lena together is an interesting Mm. thing because in the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the snake tempts them to acquire knowledge knowledge eat from the tree of knowledge yes it is also interesting with eve is that this is obviously an episode that is a literary reference and the word that she uses to describe her cousin who has cancer she said metastasize and that's not the first time that we've heard it i think it's the third yes it's the third time we've heard that specific expression i mean here it's correctly used in the sense of that's how you describe cancer that is like spread throughout the body but it's also been used to describe fear in a previous episode yes mercy graves had said that fear was metastasizing. And that in conjunction with this concept of healing the human heart. And this episode referenced heart six times. It sure did. There was lots of talking about hearts. Jars of hearts. Yes. (laughs) Jars of hearts. (laughs) Obviously, Lena here is trying to cure cancer, you know, metastasizing in a literal heart. And then we have this concept of fear metastasizing in the human heart symbolically. So that was an interesting use of language. And there's a lot more of that within this episode that we'll talk about later on. Mm -hmm. So Lena has her test subject, Adam. And another interesting theme that we see within Frankenstein is like nature versus nurture. And the fact that the monster later on says within the novel that he wasn't born evil, that over time he became the way that he is. Mm-hmm. And nature versus nurture is something that we're seeing a lot within the season of Supergirl. Well, and it's something that we just see in general, because that's Kara's life pretty much all of the time yes. as someone who's bicultural with two families. <laughs> Also true. But we're going to see that definitely with the Red Daughter storyline with the Cosney and Carl. Yes. And we kind of saw like some of the concepts within the Ben Lockwood episode and Man of Steel. Mm, Yeah. Questions like that come up. 
And I thought it was interesting because we have Adam in this episode who kind of comes off as like a neutral character. Lena sets up that questionnaire that has that spider question, like, what do you do? Do you try to save the spider? Do you kill it? Or do you just let it be? I laughed because I would have tricked Lena into picking me. (laughs) Because I too would have chosen to leave the spider alone. But that's because... I live in a ground level apartment and there are spiders everywhere. And if I tried to get rid of every single one, I'd do that all day. Yes. At this point, I just leave them alone because what other choice is there? (laughs) That's a really pessimistic view of the world. (laughs) Just let them come. (laughs) (laughs) I have accepted my spider overlords. Uh, But Lena wants somebody who chooses that because she wants somebody who's like neutral and who won't have any heroic leanings. Which is not her projecting about Supergirl at all or herself. (laughs) Nothing to do with any of that. And it's kind of interesting because she chooses both somebody who is neutral in the way that we see in Frankenstein. And she also kind of tries to choose somebody who is like her. And I said that she tries to recreate Adam in her image. True. (laughs) Which is sort of like a biblical phrase. And she's also projecting... (laughs) Like you said, because she's looking for that. She wants someone who isn't a hero in the same way that she thinks that she isn't. She does two things with it. She says she's looking for someone who isn't a hero because she isn't. And then she also wants someone who won't think they know what's right just because they have powers. Like, she's still a little bitter about being told not to make neurotoxic chemicals on the Mm -hmm. down low. Yeah. See, what (laughs) what this shapes up to be is that it just looks like Lena just wants to be the one in control because she has these conflicting concepts concepts of like people shouldn't think that they know what to do just because they have privilege one way or another um but then she herself she's like i want to give the people who don't have privilege power but i don't want them to use it (laughs) yeah her logic is not very sound No. Which is kind of the point because it's really very emotion driven. Exactly. And it's so strange because she sees it as a negative quality within herself, this concept of inaction and and not trying to save the spider. Mm. But then she seeks out that for this trial. So it's interesting. We get some info about her mother and how she died in this episode. We do. Which is something that Katie McGrath was looking forward to. So Yeah, I was actually surprised that her mother didn't die of cancer, given that she's had this desire to cure cancer since he's too. Mm, true. Well, it's probably because cancer is such a big concept yeah. and like a goal <laughs> to make a different literary reference her like white whale. <laughs> <laughs> And Adam ends up relating, actually. He also has, like, some psychological damage and self-concept and how he decides not to act because he talks about the situation with his brother. And this is something that you've been tracking so far this season, siblings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've seen a lot of different sibling dynamics. So it was interesting to hear him talk about an older sibling mm-hmm. who was willing to do anything, including donate a vital organ for Adam as the younger sibling, which sounds familiar. <laughs> Well, and it'll be especially interesting knowing that we're getting Lex coming in as the older sibling to Lena, and then we have Alex and Kara, and we don't know yet if James's sister is older or younger among the Graves siblings. But what was interesting and how Adam described the reasons that he chose the do nothing option with the spider in particular was that he said, you don't know what the spider wants, you leave it the hell alone, which... 
Lena is not doing. No. If we make the comparison between the spider and aliens, Lena is very much moving the spider, which is what she says at the end of the episode. She said, sorry, Adam, I moved the spider. Well, the other interesting little bit of insight in his explanation for his answer to that question versus why Lena identifies with that answer is he's actually making that choice because he's taking into account what the other person wants, Mm -hmm. which is like a good reason to answer that way. Lena relates to that answer because she had an instinctual freeze response as a very young child and then was traumatized by seeing her mother die. Those aren't the same. No. (laughs) But in her brain, she's finding a kinship there where there actually really isn't one. And then it's blinding her to kind of reality. Yeah. But then she kind of rationalizes it as being about that concept of like not needing a hero. And and what I thought of when she was mentioning this was like, you get powers and then you don't do anything with them. So then what's the point of having them? (laughs) With great power doesn't come great responsibility. Spider-Man. Oh, Spider-Man. Spiders. (laughs) We're crossing comic franchises. (laughs) So we have this whole big exchange between Lena and Adam, and Lena reveals a lot of personal stuff about herself through this, which is very unlike her. And I was texting with you as we were watching the episode, and I was like, maybe this is just because I watch The Americans too much. But usually when the main character is revealing lots of personal details to like a random person, it means they're going to (laughs) die. Um, because generally speaking, when you do have a character who is so closed off like that, they reveal themselves when there's no stakes. Yeah. And so that made sense for Lena in this context, because deep down, she knows that the risk of this not being successful is quite high. Yes. And so she can kind of project and get out all her anxiety. And gets him to kind of convince her that it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And and you can see that she's aware of that because of the way that she tries to detach from Adam's humanity in a way, which is kind of ironic. But that's another way that this ties into Frankenstein, the novel, because within the book, the monster isn't given a name. It's just the monster. And that's why people always confuse Frankenstein, like Victor Frankenstein. They call the monster Frankenstein when the monster just doesn't have a name. And Lena just gives Adam a number and tries to avoid calling him by his name initially, which is kind of a nice tie into that quote, which is, um, I ought to be thy Adam, but I'm rather the fallen angel. Well, and it's also a connection to this kind of recurring theme throughout the episode of this precision with language and the way that the use of words affects how we understand something and how we respond to it. Yeah. On the form that she gives Adam to sign, the form itself refers to death as expiration. Adam himself talks about the word and and says it's like kind of softening it and references the use of the word expiration with milk and then talks about how the word past can mean various different things and how it doesn't get to the point. And in a way, the wording dehumanizes Adam and, and makes it less real for Lena. He's just a number. And it's interesting because later on in the episode, Lockwood, when he's writing his little speech refers to Supergirl's death as extermination. Which he chooses intentionally because you associate extermination with bugs and they've been calling all the aliens roaches. Mm -hmm. So these are varying degrees, like intensities of dehumanization language. 
So we talked a lot about how Lena compares to Frankenstein and that storyline and sort of the questionable ethics of that scenario. But alas, Vivi and I are not doctors, so we do not know a whole lot about the more medical side of the ethics that we're discussing. So we have a guest with us today. Who you'll probably remember from our science episode that we did in the summer. Hi, I'm an evolutionary matter. I am a doctor and I've had uh, quite a bit of experience actually with medical ethics. I have a degree in it as well and I'm on the ethics committee at our hospital. So this was something that was kind of near and dear to my heart. Would you call it enjoyable or frustrating? (laughs) There might have been some screaming involved and it was not particularly happy. Kind of like one of Lena's experiments. Um... So one of the first things that we see in the scene with Adam and Lena is that she asks for him to give his consent in this like digital form and give his thumbprint. Does that look anything like what would actually happen? No, I mean, it's, it's just completely out there. And I know they're trying to, you know, be like, this is really technologically savvy. And I have to look it up. But I don't think like your biometric thumbprint, first of all, would count as your signature. And second of all, Usually you can't just hand somebody a form and be like, do this sign here. They have to understand what they're looking at, understand what they're seeing. So she essentially hands him a consent form, doesn't go through the process of explaining to him. And then when he's reading it aloud, you kind of get the sense that she's using words that are not exactly easy for everybody to understand. Like typically when you talk to patients and we give out materials to patients, you want to give them something that's at about like a third grade reading level because not everyone has the same ability that everyone else has and like she uses big words and he's kind of like oh you're making me expire she's like you may expire and in order to understand what that means she doesn't outright say you know you could die from this procedure like that requires the ability to analyze that word and understand that she means something else which is not something that everyone would be able to do no and he actually he emphasizes that throughout the episode, and this is something we saw with a bunch of characters with the use of language that was a big kind of motif that happened, he actually used, he cites the other definitions of the word and says, why don't you just say what you mean? Mm-hmm. And from like a psychological standpoint, it's Lena trying to make it less of a big deal for herself. And that's a huge problem in and of itself because she holds all the power in the relationship. He is a lay person. He doesn't understand the science, the medicine that's going on behind her experiments. And so he's fully relying on her to provide the information that he needs in order to be able to have informed consent. She just like tells him that he should sign it. And when she finally does explain a little bit of what happens after he signs it, mm-hmm. she selectively tells what information to tell him. Um, and this is kind of a form of bias. It's like a framing bias because she gets to pick and choose what she tells him. She tells him something like my ideal outcome. This is what I want to happen. I want to cure humans of all diseases. I want to give them superpowers, but you might die, which that doesn't give you much wiggle room. What are the things that could happen in between? You have to give contingency plans. If this happens, then we will also do this. That's what happens when you have to give consent. Even for something like giving a patient blood, when you consent them, you have to say, I have to let you know that this carries this type of risk. You might have a reaction to the blood, like an allergic reaction, and 
And in that case, we would give you these medications. We would be close by, would be able to do this for you. We'd be able to do that for you. And so that explanation is just not there at all. Yeah. Well, some of this is like a time constraint. We're not going to see the character Lena run the character Adam through every possible scenario. But then again, the things that we do see are kind of worrying. The fact that she gets him to sign it first and then discloses what information she does have. Yeah. And even if he signs the consent form, it doesn't actually make that experiment okay. Because apart from like the ethics of it, I actually found that there was a law. It's called Grimes versus Kennedy Krieger for people who are like huge nerds and like me and want to know. But basically that case went to court and said that consenting in and of itself doesn't mean that the excessive risk and burden of Lena's experiment is acceptable. In that case, essentially they were trialing whether or not like children's reactions to lead levels. And at the end of the case, they were like, just because you said that this was okay, doesn't mean that this was actually okay, because this is so so risky for the children involved. There's so much burden of it that you can't just sign these risks away. It's still impacting a, a person's life. Which is an interesting case to compare it to because lead in children is also a situation that we saw with Lena. From season three. Yeah. yeah. Other question, is it normal to already have the person in a hospital gown in your lab before they've signed for informed consent? And also there's a section later where Adam mentions that he lied about his scar and Lena is like taking a guess at what he actually got it from. And would you not expect her to have his medical history given all of the things that she seems to be doing that affect his entire biological process? Well, this depends. I mean, so when you come to the hospital at first, you have to like sign a consent form, obviously saying that you're consenting to be treated here. I'm not entirely sure of the logistics of that because I don't hand that to the person by the time people come back Mm -hmm. and see me. They've already had that first process done. So the times that I consent, people tend to be for procedures. If we're going to give them any kind of like intervention that isn't standardly covered, like a medication or like a physical exam. So like multiple consent forms? Yes. But in terms of knowing their medical history, so it's kind of up to the physician in most situations Mm. to review it with the patient. So Sometimes you'll have records that you get from before. I suspect that they would have handed him something and asked him, like, can you tell me all the chronic diseases you have it so that they could list them and then all your medications. But it's up to you to go through and ask again and kind of like double check and make sure before you treat people. Because sometimes if somebody has a disease, you're not going to want to give them certain medications. You're not going to want to do certain procedures on them because it increases the risk of a negative outcome. His scar does look like a surgical scar in the back. Mm-hmm. So it was a very fair guess. I would have been surprised if she didn't have him like fill out something like at a primary care doctor's office where they're like, please list all of these things or check them off if you have them. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. What's sort of interesting and troubling about discussing the sort of minutia of medical ethics is that one of the reasons that Lena might not be going through this is because she literally just doesn't know. She can't tell him all the things that might happen to him because what she tested a heart. didn't go through animal trials as far as we know. Yeah, so what's the actual process supposed to be when you're developing an experimental treatment? Like, you don't just go straight from, I tested it on some random objects and then decided to use it on people, even though testing it on a heart not connected to a body did none of the things I wanted it to and didn't cure the cancer on it. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it just basically made it fire resistant, which I don't think is necessarily the same thing as curing all disease. Basically, what happens is sometimes things are side effects, but usually you start with a cell line, whatever kind of like populations of cells that you're trying to study. In this case, she would have gotten some cardiac cancer cells and tried to study them with the effects of whatever solution she had come up with and see what happened in there. And you could actually break down the cells, look at the protein, look at the DNA and, and kind of see like what's the change from the beginning to the end. And if it's the change that you want, then you can kind of move on to the next phase, which is animal trials. And you start with different animals first. Like you'd usually start with mice and then you can kind of move up to animals that have physiology that's a little more analogous to humans. And then when you move on to human trials, there's actually different phases of human trials too. So the first phase of human trials is in fact healthy volunteers. They're healthy volunteers that you have come in. They don't have a medical disease. So you can just make sure that whatever you're giving to them is essentially safe to put in humans. And so you start with smaller doses. You don't give them all of this at once. You kind of see what's an acceptable tolerance. And then you can move on after that and see if it has the effect of whatever you want the drug to do in a population that's affected with it. And so it kind of climbs from there. So that's a second small group. And then the third phase, this is the last phase, is when you do it over a large population of people and see if it has an effect in a large population as well. So she just kind of... She just skipped. Yeah, she skipped. She skipped the animal trials. And it sounds almost like she wanted to do the healthy subject phase. But the problem is, is that she wasn't looking just to see if it was safe in humans. She went straight for, will this work in humans? So she kind of just skipped to the phase three B sort of clinical trials. Yeah. So in terms of designing an experiment like that, is there like a threshold of acceptable risk that is like you can't go beyond that? Or... Our other question was like, is 15% low or high? Because when I was looking up stuff, I was like, well, when you word it in a percentage, it sounds low. But when you turn it into that means one person in six and a half will die, that sounds a lot higher. It's uh, it's ridiculously high. It's the same mortality rate as if you actually had cancer, which is what Lena is trying to cure. The only thing that like has higher mortality is like heart disease, which is also one in six. Cancer is a mortality rate of one in seven. The risk of you dying from like a gun assault is one in 315. Hmm. You know, when we talk about gun control and how so many people are dying from guns, like that's not acceptable. It's obviously not acceptable to have an experiment that will kill as many people as you're trying to save. It's just not. And in research, a high risk of death is actually considered one in 1000, which is like 0.01%. It's like 1,500 times greater risk of her trial than what you would usually accept in research. But she gets down to 13%. (laughs) Okay. So optimistic and (laughs) Carl-like. So you posted on your Tumblr kind of a rundown of the medical ethics, and you mentioned the four main categories of medical ethics. Could you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So in medical ethics, usually you're kind of looking to do what's best for the patient, obviously. So there's the four pillars of it, really, which are beneficence, non-maleficence, autonomy, and justice. In terms of what's going on, autonomy actually plays a lot into the issues with informed consent. For 
Adam to have autonomy, which is the ability to make a fully informed decision, he needs to understand what's going on. And so in her process of not giving him complete informed consent, she also makes it impossible for him to actually have true autonomy because there's a difference between saying yes and understanding what yes actually means. Mm-hmm. Hmm. In terms of beneficence, so Lena is obviously trying to do something good. No one is going to say that trying to cure humans of all disease is an awful thing to do. It's obviously a noble cause. But the problem is, is when you look at what she's doing, anyone could make an excuse. The Nazis made the excuse that their research that they were doing in concentration camps was going to be good for society. Mm -hmm. But obviously, there was a huge problem with what they were doing to the people there. And so you can't just use the argument of it's good for society to justify doing something to a person. So is this what she's doing actually going to be good for Adam? I mean, he had a kidney transplant in the past, but as far as we know, he says he has no medical issues right now. And then even if he got superpowers, would this actually be beneficial for him? I mean, it sounds awesome. We don't even know what they look like. You don't know what they are. I mean, just look at Kara when she first landed on Earth. She had so many issues controlling her powers. And in some ways, it was both a blessing and a curse for her. And then we saw Parasite as well. But also consider the only other person we've seen get powers from the Harunel was Olivia last year, who started turning into a world killer. Also true. Yes. So, I mean, and she couldn't control her powers either. And it's irresponsible. And we don't know if there's a personality effect either. Uh, Adam can become the, uh, how many world killers will this be at this point? Number (laughs) five. Five. (laughs) He'll be the fifth world killer. killer. She'll succeed in her mission to save Earth by creating the fifth world killer. (laughs) I'm here to help. So essentially, beneficence is the idea that whatever procedure intervention you're doing is done with the intent of doing good for the actual person involved. And then on the flip side of that, that there's the idea of non-maleficence, which sounds similar in some ways, but it's the idea that not only do you want to do good for the person who's involved in the study or the procedure, you also want to do something that doesn't actually harm the person involved or others in society. There's things that are just neutral, but there's no need to put someone at risk to do something neutral as well. So that first do no harm idea. Right. Which we referenced in the Ahimsa episode. Yes. There's so much doctor stuff this season. I don't know if it's all good, though. It's okay. Your live ranting was great to watch, especially because you're on a delay because you're on the West Coast. So, like, we'd already seen the episode. And then all of a sudden, it's, like, out of nowhere. You're just like, no! Shouting. (laughs) Well, what's good about this episode is that it's not a mistake that the show is making so much as they're really leaning into Lena making some interesting choices. They're absolutely doing it on purpose. And I, like, love it for that. And it's supposed to show you the problems with, like, experimentation and the lack of oversight and it's all good and I have faith I have a lot of faith (laughs) I liked your point about the word oversight because we have the contrast of Alex having the oversight at the DEO Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because in some ways, what Alex does at the DEO does sometimes require oversight, but there's a difference between like one person having absolute oversight over what you can and cannot do. And in science, when you have oversight, it means that like you have multiple people looking at what you go through when you do an IRB, basically, Mm -hmm. which is whenever you set up an experiment, especially if it involves humans, you have to do an IRB, which basically is a proposal that you make to a group of people about what you want to do, why you want to do it, how it's going to benefit people, what are the risks to people. And they literally will 
people sit there and debate the ethics of it and make sure that they think that all of these criteria are fulfilled, that you have acceptable risk, that it's going to do good for the patient, it won't harm them. Well, and you also have to submit the consent form and have them approve it and say that it actually explains everything correctly. And if not, you have to reword it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, sorry. I've also done them. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's It's a headache of a process. It's not fun. And you also have to provide for like explanations of any data you collect about them, how long you're going to keep it, who's going to see it, where it's stored, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, there's so much privacy involved in it because especially with HIPAA laws. So yeah. But guys, Selena has Eve. Oh my God. That's enough. And I love Eve because I kind of love what she represents as a person who is both into science and who chose a different career path as well. And it's just as valid and she gets to use both skills. But oh my God, her reasoning was (laughs) so wrong. She uses a very personal example. She uses anecdotal evidence in order to support her points. She directly plays to the emotional aspect of it, which is like my wonderful cousin who has cancer. (laughs) She really needs this. Like she plays to Lena's emotions of like, I must act to save your cousin. Which Lena as a person does not need any more emotional pushes. (laughs) Well, and that's interesting too, because every kind of big arc in this episode hinged on people viewing it through the lens of their emotions and their personal experience, as opposed to looking at like the bigger picture. Mm, Yeah. Which is actually Lena's problem in general. And I mean, this is kind of what was shown through the story that she told about her mother is when she talks about her mother, she talks about how she could have saved her mother's life if she had done something about it. And that kind of shows you her viewpoint of how she sees everything in terms of like, what can I do? It's all about me and my actions and how I will have the power to save everything. Yeah, which is something we saw demonstrated last season with her and Sam and how she took very personal responsibility and kind of made sure that Sam didn't ask for outside help from anyone else. It was all on Lena and it was a very like personal mission. Yeah, and it works really well with, you know, hubris and being a scientist and, you know, sometimes being a doctor, a lot of people talk about it and rightly so about, you know, the God complex portion of it, which is something we also saw last season with Grace. And the thought that, you know, I alone am the one who can do this for this person. I can save this person's life. And if you don't have a little bit of confidence in yourself at all, like you're not going to be able to because you have to believe that you have the tools and the knowledge to do so. But there's obviously a fine line of when you need to know when I need to ask for help or say like, you know what, I'm not entirely sure. Let me look this up. Let me get somebody else. Let me consult somebody who's better at this than me because otherwise you're directly putting other people at risk which is something that lena still needs to learn how to do yeah which makes the frankenstein comparison a good fit and the other medical ethics category right and then the fourth one is actually the idea of justice so that's the idea that when you're doing something and you're doing a procedure how will it affect society and will it be able to equally benefit all groups in society so if lena goes through with this, will she be able to give everyone the benefit of her research? The problem with this is that she also talks about how her procedure will also give people superpowers. And then when she's discussing with Alex whether or 
not, you know, everyone should be able to have these things. She's like, no, I'll choose who gets to have these superpowers. That's essentially what she does with Adam. She tells Adam straight on, I chose you specifically because I didn't want certain people to get these abilities. So she's playing like a godlike character. But then even if she did choose to let every single human undergo her treatment and get superpowers and be healed, which, you know, you would expect because are you going to really say that that person over there that's dying from cancer, they don't deserve this treatment. Like that would obviously be unjust. But then you're giving them superpowers at the same time. But are you also going to give aliens the benefit of this treatment as well if it does work for them? Because part of the reason she also wants to do this is because she wants to equal the playing field for them. And that's unjust in principle already because she kind of thinks about abilities in terms of like physical superpowers, physical advantages when humans already have the political and social advantage already, even if they don't have the advantage of brute strength. And she just doesn't even consider that. So it's just when she talks about equaling the playing field, she's only considering part of the story. Yep, that was really well said. Well, that was very enlightening. So thank you for stopping by, Anivo. You can catch her on Tumblr at nevolutionarymatter.tumblr.com. And thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. It was nice to be able to talk a little bit more about the ethics of what Lena is going through. And I think we're certainly going to see how she becomes a better person, hopefully, which I think in a show like Supergirl will happen Yes, as she kind of like learns and grows from these experiences. It'll probably be a very rocky road, but we're, we're all pulling for her. So as we discussed with our special guest, Lena's ethics in this episode were fairly questionable, although she does consider stopping the experiment at one point. Yeah. But the reason that she does, her like explanation for it is that she can't have another death on her hands, which is referencing back to the fact that she blames herself for her mother's death. But it's it's a very personal way to frame it and, and very... Selfish. Lena-centric. Yes. Self-centered. Yes. It has nothing to do with Adam or his well-being at all. It's how his death would affect Lena. Mm -hmm. And that's another concept that we see a lot in this episode. Someone is perceiving the situation through their own kind of personal lens. We see it with Lena, and then we also see it with James. Yeah, it was nice to see James get kind of a bigger story in this episode, which we'd been anticipating, obviously, since that was in the teaser from last week. But one thing first I just want to point out is that the three biggest storylines in this episode were specifically dealing with human characters and their responses to the children of liberty and this question of aliens versus humans, who has powers, who doesn't. And also all of them, Lena and James, and then later we'll talk about Manchester as well, are coming at it through this lens of how they personally are affected without looking at the bigger picture and say and seeing whether or not the decisions that are good for them personally are actually beneficial to anyone around them. Mm-hmm. So James actually comes at this problem of the Children of Liberty in a pretty directly confrontational way because he's insulted that they're using his public image for a purpose that he finds abhorrent. And so he decides, very similarly to Lena, that he's going to solve this problem himself by going directly for the heart of the problem. So to speak. Do you like my pun there? I did. But he's going to go directly after the Children of Liberty. He's going to find their source. He's going to expose them. And hopefully that will help, A, get them to stop using him and B, make them less popular in the public eye. That's his plan. He's not actually agreeing with them at any point along the way, even though he is talking with them directly. Meanwhile, Lena... 
is out there telling James to disavow them. But when you see her and Eve in this episode talking with each other, and we saw this a little bit in the Thanksgiving episode as well, Lena doesn't actually disagree with some of the Children of Liberty's talking points. She just disagrees with their methods. Mm-hmm. And so that's where her issue is she believes that she knows the right way to put humans on equal footing with aliens. Whereas with James, Agent Liberty even calls this out and says, you know, I don't have empathy for those people. But James does. He recognizes that aliens are people in their own right and they deserve to be themselves and just live their lives. So his heart's in the right place. Again, with heart. (laughs) Yes. Unfortunately, because he also is working by himself on this, he gets in over his head. Yeah, he gets himself kidnapped. And what's interesting about the situation is that he is again trapped. In the previous episode of Supergirl's Attic, we talked about how you could read James's situation as him feeling like backed into a corner in various ways and feeling trapped. And now he is again, quite literally, quite literally trapped. Another kind of funny thing with words in this episode related to James being trapped is that Lockwood's show is called Lockdown. Yes. (laughs) And he has both Guardian and Supergirl essentially on a lockdown. Mm -hmm. And he's planning to turn this play on words into primetime entertainment if he gets his way. Yes. He tries to get James to profess his allegiance to the Children of Liberty, then blow up this Statue of Liberty stand-in. While also killing Supergirl. Yes. James is definitely trapped. He just doesn't realize how thoroughly. And this episode also, in the story with James, did a good job of reinforcing the fact that the Children of Liberty are a terrorist organization and not peaceful protesters, as Ben Lockwood tried to describe them, because James gets caught in this situation where he's on camera professing Confessing his allegiance to the Children of Liberty because there's four of them off camera pointing assault rifles and handguns straight at him, which is something that you typically see in hostage videos from various terrorist groups. It was staged pretty much exactly like them. Yes. And James intends to keep them from killing this person that he's gotten to know who has started to renounce the Children of Liberty. And he figures that this person's life is more important than his reputation, which is an interesting way to phrase it because it's not just his reputation that's at stake. It's all the weight behind it and what it would mean ideologically, which is something you might expect him to understand as the CEO of CACO. Yeah, But again, he frames it very personally and says that for me, my personal reputation does not matter as much as this person's life and isn't quite convinced that it's more than that. Yeah, well, and not just as James Olsen, but also as Guardian, because he had a big arc in season two and season three in wanting to be respected and trusted by the people. Yeah, so it's interesting. Yeah, and you had an interesting note that this is in some ways kind of comparable to Kara in season two in Alex episode 219 when he wanted to get her to release his father from prison he's going to kill Alex and Alex said absolutely not do not <laughs> yeah Alex framed it for Kara as a big deal and kind of pointed out that this would really compromise Supergirl that people would use this against her and whenever somebody wants to get Supergirl to do something all they have to do is go after her sister or anyone else who cares about her but the more important thing there is that Alex as a public servant and someone who's in an organization with a military like chain of command sees the big picture mm-hmm. and understands that it's not just about like 
one person within the organization. It's about the survival of the whole. Yes. And Kara, whose morals tend to be very outward-based, big picture-based, it wasn't hard to convince her. Yeah. As soon as Alex said it. All Alex had to do is say it, and then Kara was on board. Because yeah. Kara herself benefits from people framing things morally for her, as we've talked about a couple times in this podcast. Yes. So then to swing this back around to this episode, by the end, after James realizes that he almost put Kara in jeopardy and he almost damaged his standing and his reputation, he comes to a realization about that in his final conversation with Kara at the end of the episode. Yes. So we see this concept of responsibility come up with James. And that's something that, again, connects to Frankenstein, as we discussed before, where you have progress and knowledge and, and maybe a god like capability, but it's about how you use it and using it responsibly. And in this episode, there's this concept of taking responsibility for actions and whether or not you do or don't. And with James, we see at the end of the episode, he does take responsibility in a way. He admits that he compromised himself. And Kara says, you saved Tom's life. And he says, but I risked everything I worked for, everything, my reputation, my life, your life. But then he kind of moves right along and talks about like understanding Lena better. And it kind of makes it because of the way this storyline was set up to be so like intense of a situation, it felt kind of like a flat ending. Well, no, actually, I actually don't think it does seem as out of left field as maybe we thought initially, because he's connecting it to the pressure that Lena always feels because of her name and the way people pay attention to her and how she's always mindful of it. Right. I'm just saying like it makes sense, but in terms of resolution of the plot James's mindset for the situation that they set up. Mm. It kind of went by quickly and then it was reframed into him understanding Lena, which made sense. It just felt rushed. Yes. Yeah. His storyline wrapped up a little too conveniently, but part of that is just a time issue. Like this is, we're getting into the end of the first third of the season. So they have to start pushing it into what's coming next and close off those things. Like the evolution with Tom, the defecting child of Liberty was, was also a little too neatly wrapped. But again, like I get why. Yeah. I wouldn't be terribly surprised if we saw more along these lines with James. Not exactly the same situation, but we'll have to see. Mm-hmm. So James has this conversation with Kara, and I'm kind of amused by how wrapped up Kara has been in, in James and Lena's relationship. She's always been wrapped up in James's relationships. Like, <laughs> I guess that's just how their friendship works now. Yeah. Well, although... But it's also because she's Lena's friend. Yeah. But it's kind of interesting because in the same scene where she's like super wrapped up and how their relationship turns out, she's also pointedly not discussing the more ideological rifts between them. Mm. She doesn't really put her own opinion about what James is doing forth. She more so kind of endorses Lena's motivations as his significant other and kind of keeps it on that plane, which is an interesting choice. Because we have these two characters who are making these decisions that they think will ultimately help aliens. And she herself, as an alien, isn't really commenting on it. So it's interesting. Yeah, and for Kara, that's actually very restrained. Yeah. She's usually quite opinionated. Also true. So it's an interesting choice. And another way that Kara's storyline connects with James's 
is that they both like sort of trust people in this episode and that are disappointed. Indeed, they are. Yeah. We see James talking to the child of liberty who is saying that there's nobody in the monument that James is about to blow up and James just trusts them. Oh, the guy says, uh, cross my heart. So that phrase heart comes up again. And then we see Kara who trusts Manchester Black and then is very disappointed in the same way that I was. I too was disappointed. One other thing that I caught watching this episode though to go back to this use of language was we had Kara specifically say you're safe now to Manchester at the start of the episode with the exact same phrasing of how Jean spoke to the Lockwood family in 403 in Man yeah. of Steel. And then you also had her delivering that same message in the video on Shelly Island to other aliens. She's standing there in this video as a welcoming, reassuring presence that you're supposed to trust. And you see her say, you are safe, even though your powers may not be working. And that was interesting just because the way in which we saw her say that you are safe was very different than Jean's you're safe now, where they were physically safe, but their house had just burst into flames. Mm -hmm. Manchester actually was safe. The process of emigrating for other aliens actually was safe. So it seems like we're hinting toward things threatening Kara's credibility as we're going forward in the episode, especially because we have the little scene where Alex pulls her into the DEO to show her that Ben Lockwood is starting to create these rumors that Supergirl is responsible for some of the bad stuff that's happening and kind of blaming her for stuff. Mm. And that's one of the situations that we discussed a little bit with Ben Lockwood and how he's framing things with language. Yeah, there was a really great scene of him in his studio at his broadcasting job where he's working on the script for the next episode of his show and he's testing different words that are different levels of extreme to decide which one will be the most effective at getting under people's skin. Mm, yes. The timing of it was neat because there was an article in the Washington Post this week, so the end of November, about a study that was done out of Yale that found that people who were self-reported as being more conservative were more easily influenced in their social attitudes towards immigrants and other minorities when they had read a piece of text beforehand that implied a threat to their physical or emotional safety. So A, that's very similar to what Lena took away from the conversation at Thanksgiving about, okay, if people feel threatened, we need to take away why they feel threatened and then they'll stop wanting to do all these bad things. And B, it's directly relevant to what Lockwood as his public face as a professor and his face as Agent Liberty is doing in terms of manipulating people and playing on their fears and their sense of security. And it ties into that overarching theme again of hope versus fear and Agent Liberty is a agent of fear in a way. He certainly is. And so other examples of this are, we mentioned already, his use of describing the Children of Liberty as peacefully protesting when they were attacking alien families. And then he also starts saying that Supergirl was rounding people up when she was saving them from Parasite mm -hmm. and then moved it into... Is Supergirl a hero or is she the seed that may very well cause the eradication of the human race? Yeah. And then there was one last kind of noteworthy thing as far as Agent Liberty was concerned. And it was in his conversation with James when they pulled him in to the hostage situation. And James has been trying to figure out what their deal is 
what they want, and Agent Liberty frames it as he doesn't like the fact that human beings are being treated as less than they deserve, less than exceptional. And that deliberate use of the word exceptional is meant to tie back to the concept of American exceptionalism, which you can read as a positive or a disdainful thing, depending. And the term has been understood as a concept since around the time of the Civil War in the 1860s, but it wasn't used as a specific phrase until the 1920s. And in a tie to later in the season, this phrase was coined by the American Communist Party and then used rather disdainfully by Stalin, kind of scorning the idea that the American society was the exception to the rule as far as communism by saying that America was exceptional in that it didn't follow the Marxist laws of history. It had abundant resources. It had a relatively loose class structure and people felt more equal to each other. And it had a really high industrial capability. So people weren't scrambling for jobs in the same way that they were in more traditional societies. That was just kind of funny because we know we have the Russia storyline coming. Yes. And there's been a lot of these very subtle things from U.S. history that connect back to foreign politics with Russia snuck in throughout the season. So that was kind of a fun little Easter egg. Yeah, it was fun indeed. Well, fun in an <laughs> academic sense. <laughs> Yeah. So Lockwood is a neat location for some interesting wordplay in this journalism season where the written word and the spoken word are kind of a big deal. And I was also thinking about after this episode, how Lockwood is an enemy of Cara Danvers and of Supergirl. Because in this episode, we see him targeting her as an alien, specifically. In the last episode, we saw him debating her on TV. And it's a nice contrast with the past two villains, Rain and then Raya, ended up being the big bad of season two, who weren't really personal to Kara. Yeah. Like she didn't have the most stake with those villains. Other characters were more in play than Kara. So, hmm. so it's been interesting. Yeah. And then similarly, if we're talking about characters who are doing things that Kara takes personally, mm-hmm. we had Manchester Black kind of screwing everybody over in this episode, which he's really the first anti-hero character that the show has had. Yeah. So it's fun from a story level. But I do want to make very clear the reason why Kara thinks that he's bad and why he is not in any way a heroic character. And he tells Kara this up front early in the episode that he will do anything to stop Agent Liberty. Not only does he say it, he repeats it more than mm-hmm. once. And that's probably one of the only honest things he has said yeah. in his entire time on the show so far. Interestingly, he's not the only person who said that he's willing to do anything. Someone else said that last week in the thing. Thanksgiving episode, uh-huh. Lena says something very similar in the end of episode 406 when she tells James that she would do anything to keep him safe. And Manchester is acting out of a very similar self-interest there. Mm. He lost the one person that he loves, and that was his barometer for good and bad, essentially. And he's kind of decided, now that that's gone, he's going to avenge her, and he's going to do it by whatever means necessary. And that's the reason why he's dangerous and the reason that Kara says he's bad. She sees that for what it is very early on in the episode and she does not want to trust him. And the reason that 
what he's doing is a problem is, yeah, okay, he's killed a bunch of members of the Children of Liberty, but his loyalty is to no one. That's really the bigger issue. That's why Kara doesn't perceive him as an ally. Yeah. If the wind blows the wrong direction one day, he'll change sides and screw them over. And that's part of what makes anti-hero characters compelling, but that's also why they're not heroes. Mm -hmm. I think certain people are misreading his motivations in a way and perceiving him to be acting out of a sense of justice as opposed to his very tunnel vision vengeance motivation. Yeah. He, like we had the same issue with James and Lena in this episode, he's acting purely out of self-interest. So even though his fiance was an alien and there's this hate group out here that doesn't like aliens, he's willing to play both sides now because she's gone and that doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's purely about what's going to make him feel good at whatever moment in time. Yes. And he's also willing, I thought it was interesting, to use the Children of Liberty's language. Yeah. He refers to aliens as roaches. He says, take me to your leader as the roaches Say, which is kind of a sci-fi alien reference there. But that was also interesting because Carr earlier on in the episode, herself being an alien, handed Manchester her like pot pie and said, it comes in peace. Which is not the first time we've seen Kara make kind of alien jokes, actually. She did in season one that time when she was eating her sticky buns. <laughs> yes. So we have some nice little kind of alien references here and there. And speaking of aliens, we had Brainy studying human pop culture, it seemed, at the end of the episode. He had his little notepad <laughs> while they were watching the Three Stooges, it sounded like. And it was going to be Brainy, Kara, Alex, and then Jean came later on to then bring the tone down from Free Stooges to heartbreak <laughs> for everyone. Yeah, that that's like their secret weapon. Yes. We've never seen Jean actually cry like that before. And I, in our notes, put down, it was like, you know things are bad when your dad cries. <laughs> Yes. And that was definitely the tone of that scene. Absolutely. Especially in the way that he was apologizing to Kara for having told her to trust Manchester, even though she had doubted it. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that concept of responsibility. Jean is taking responsibility for what happened to Kara because he was the one who suggested that she give him a chance. And that whole situation is made sadder by the fact that earlier on in the season, Kara had kind of doubted Jean's judgment in the first episode mm. with regard to the alien attack and whether or not they were hate crimes. Speaking of things that are really sad about it, Manchester had used that sort of empathy booster on Jean and, and forced him to feel what Manchester was feeling. Well, and then apparently it also like contained it so that it kept on reverberating even after the physical connection was broken. Yes, which is significant because Jean just in the previous episode had told Manchester that like mind reading is a kind of violence and now Manchester is in a way using that against John. Yeah, and he also used technology related to Kara's powers against her in this episode as well. Also true, which is comparable to how the Children of Liberty are currently using alien technology against them. Well, and it also ties back around to that Greek mythology reference that we mentioned at the beginning and the idea of Prometheus stealing fire, which is a technology. And so we see also Manchester and the Children of Liberty and Lena. But we see Manchester Black in that kind of way, taking technologies to use the aliens' powers against them. In a sense, to level the playing field in the way that Alex pointed out humans can level the playing field. Exactly. Just, he wasn't nice about it. No, he was not. We're all scarred. 
emotionally. <laughs> I'm scarred emotionally. <laughs> I liked the scene with Jean and Kara a lot because it was sad, but also... Uh, <laughs> you would like it because it was sad. <laughs> Just saying. But also because it's another moment in the show where they're placing so much dramatic emphasis and narrative importance upon these like found family dynamics. Yeah. And the show is also showing how it's significant recently and how we've been seeing them have these like frequent family dinners, the trio yeah. of Alex, Jean, and Kara, which is a nice touch and a good way to keep everyone tied to each other Yeah, now that they're all different, have different avenues of storylines. Well, and it also reinforces the hope and fear dichotomy because the times when you see them unified and the tone of the show is lighter is when they are engaging in kind of that family dynamic. Yeah, which reinforces Elmayara. And speaking of kind of that lighter tone and finding that balance, the trailer for next week went kind of like 180 on the tone and was very, very light compared to the past couple. Yeah, I think the, the lightest the show's been this season has been maybe episode two, was it, where Carr had the secret identity hijinks? Yeah, but I mean, the teasers haven't been comedic like that. Fair. Yeah, so we're going to see Carr, Brainy, and Nia interacting and, and apparently doing something with Nia's dreams, which Kevin Smith, who directed this episode, said was a different way to go about it and, and would be really cool. So looking forward to that. Well, and they traditionally have him in to do really character character-driven, kind of emotionally heavy episodes. So that's exciting. Yeah. So that'll be fun. We also see Kara just like flick somebody's head and they're knocked out. <laughs> amazing. Which is something they did in Smallville, which is really amusing to me. Well, that is amusing, especially knowing that we're going to see Kara and Clark on the Smallville set in 409. Oh, true, true. So this should be a fun episode. Well, fun, but then we also know one of the other storylines is because we got the tease at the very end of this episode is uh, Manchester going after Ben Lockwood as Agent Liberty. So well, maybe that's where the title comes in next week is called Bunker Hill, which is a Revolutionary War reference. So we'll have to see how the title ties into the theme of the episode. Yeah. So we had the sci-fi episode and next week we're going to have a historical episode. Should be fun. And on that note, please feel free to leave us comments on our podcast site or send us feedback or questions on Tumblr, Twitter, or Instagram at Supergirls Attic. And we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening.